Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Can you do a little better than that? Good morning, everybody. Hooray! The people of God are in the house this morning. It's great to see you all. I'm just doing a little bit of furniture removal here. Um, like Frank Sinatra said, I like to do it my way. But it's great to see you all. It's wonderful to welcome a few friends here this morning who've come along to support me too. Um, I love life with the people I love. And so it's great to see so many of you in the same place this morning and to be able to share the Word of God with you. Um, I've got a topic this morning that I've called God's Defining Moments. I have to announce the title first because if I don't, I will get carried away and forget to tell you what we're on about this morning. Um, please do turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 32. If you don't have a Bible, you may find one in the back of the seat in front of you. You're very welcome to use that to read. And also, if you don't have a Bible at home, to take that with you to study. Um, the scriptures will also be coming up on the screen behind me. And I'd also like to say those, uh, hello to those who are watching online and by way of YouTube. You are very much included in our gathering here this morning. I will also say that it's very daunting to be speaking here on this stage. And it's not because I'm nervous, but it's because you have such high standards. <laughs> I have never met, well, I, I say the second coolest glasses wearer I've ever met was our former pastor, Aid. Now, the first coolest glasses wearer I've ever met is in a rock band, and so he's way ahead of us. That's one word for our Wimborne people. Um, I've never seen such carefully tended hair on a preacher as on our very own pastor, John Thompson. <laughs> Our worship leader, Johnny Riggs, looks like he belongs in the Royal Marines. And Sarah, where's Sarah gone? Out the back somewhere. Sarah, you've often seen her on this stage, feet fitted with the cowgirl boots that come from the gospel of peace. And so I'm just praying this morning that I can live up to the standard and be found worthy of the high calling of God, okay? <laughs> let's, let's turn to the Bible. It's Genesis chapter 32 and verse 22. Kerry preached last week and nearly stole my entire message by preaching something from the same passage. And her husband a few weeks ago also stole my first illustration, so I'm, I'm guessing God just really wants to talk about these things. But let's go with the scriptures here. We're Genesis chapter 32 and verse 22. And it says, That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent him across the stream, after he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. And the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. You'll be relieved to know I'm going nowhere near that last verse. 
I'll leave that to people with more theological grounding than me. So we've come to this, this story in Genesis 32 where Jacob is on a journey and he takes his family and his livestock, he sends them across a river. And there's a lot of background to this which I'm going to try to narrate in as short a time as possible. Um, but Jacob is the third generation of what's known as the patriarchs, the forefathers of the nation of Israel. Starts with grandfather Abraham, then the son of Abraham is Isaac, who's Jacob's father, and then Jacob and his brother, twin brothers, are the third generation of these people known as the patriarchs, the founding fathers of Israel. All of these three men have heard the voice of God speak to them on several occasions saying, you will inherit a land that I will lead you to, your offspring will become many nations, I'm going to make your name glorious, and the purposes of God have come to them again and again. Jacob is on this journey because he has to meet with his twin brother who he hasn't seen for, at a guess, about 20 years. The two guys have fallen out. And it started very early on in, in their family life. From the very moment these twins were born, they were rivals. Esau, the older brother, came out first. And Jacob, the younger brother, came out grasping his older brother's heel. And so they gave him the name Jacob, which means he grasps the heel. It also means deceiver. And Jacob grows up. It's called something called nominative determinism, if you're into psychology. I'll happily write that down for anybody later if you can get it. Nominative determinism means your name dictates who you will be. And so Jacob lives up to his name. He turns out to be a deceiver because later in life, when his brother, his older brother, is set to inherit the birthright from the father, all the wealth would pass to him, the family name would pass to him. It's almost like a royal tradition. All the power passes to the older son. Jacob sees an opportunity and swindles his brother out of the birthright. To compound this, sometime later, aided by his mother, because there's a great family split going on where one, the, the dad favors the older son and the mother favors the younger son, aided by his mother, Jacob also swindles his brother out of God's blessing. So now his older brother has no inheritance, no birthright, no power, and none of God's blessing. Predictably, Esau is unhappy about this, and Jacob flees for his life. And he goes and he lives in the desert and he herds sheep and he meets with some other people, some distant relatives, and he, he takes shelter with them and he swindles a few of them as well. And that's the way he's been living his life up to this point. But now in order to fulfill the plan of God, he has come to come back to the land that he has come from. And somebody sends him word and says, your brother Esau is on, your way, on his way with 400 men. And Jacob thinks, I bet they're not coming to ask to borrow a cup of sugar. This is bad news. So he's thinking and he's scheming and he's, he's saying to himself, how can I get Esau to be happy when he sees me instead of ripping my throat out? So what he does is he gets his family together, he gets a section of his flocks, because he's a wealthy man, he gets a section of his flocks together and he says, I'm going to make a gift. And I'm going to make this gift to Esau. And he sends in batches, nearly 600 animals. There's cows, there's sheep, there's goats, there's camels. There's probably donkeys and llamas and all kinds of other things, but he sends this massive gift of livestock on ahead in the middle of the night. They cross this ford. Then he sends his family. He's thinking, I hope when, Jacob, when Esau sees all these animals I've sent him, he won't be angry. He's not going to kill my family. And last of all, hopefully he'll be pacified, but by the time I meet him, he's not going to kill me. Okay? And so he's walking along in the night, 
And then this totally strange thing happens that the Bible gives absolutely no build-up to whatsoever. It doesn't say, you know, it was a moonlit night and Jacob could hear eerie sounds in the bushes and suddenly he felt somebody watching him. All of a sudden, a man comes out of nowhere and starts to wrestle with him. Just imagine, has that ever happened to you? Has anybody had that experience that somebody just jumps on you and starts grappling you? This is what happened to Jacob. And I think Jacob, like many of us, would have tried to get out of this situation. And he would have resorted to his sort of comfort zone, his, his usual skills that he was used to using. He would have started to try to negotiate. He, he, would, have, he would have said, well, hey, man, what, what are you on about? What's your deal? Do you think we can talk about this? And the guy throws him up against a tree trunk. Do you think we can, we can make some kind of deal? I'm, I'm a wealthy man. What is it that you want? And the guy drags him through some bushes. I've got livestock. I've just sent them on ahead. Maybe I can call some of the shepherds back. Let's, would you like 50 cows or 30 camels? What can I do for you? And the guy throws him over some rocks. And gradually, realization sinks in. Jacob says, this man isn't trying to kill me, but he's not going to let me go either. And he squares up to him. And he does something he's seen from the Matrix movies. And he says, you want to wrestle? Come on and wrestle then. <sighs> All night. All night, these two guys are wrestling, and finally the sun rises, and the man says, let me go, for it is daybreak. And Jacob's like this, got, probably got two fingers up his nostrils. He's got a real death grip on this guy. We've been doing this all night. You've made me late to meet my brother. You've ruined my best clothes. You've made me, my family worrying where I am, and now you want to go. I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. Haven't you heard about me? I'm Jacob. I'm the man who steals blessings. Now I want your blessing. And what does the man say? He says, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. I want to suggest to you today that sometimes we can go through periods of struggle, periods of wrestling, even wrestling with God, that lead to defining moments that change our lives. And I'm going to look at a few examples of how that works. And so, uh, as we know, Jacob goes on to become this great patriarch. If, you've, you know, if you're not familiar with the Bible story, you've all heard Joseph's Technicolor Dreamcoat, the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 sons, that's Jacob, the father. Okay. So, first defining moment. Times of wrestling can reveal God's calling and guidance for our lives. Um, if we could have the first slide up on the screen, Reinhard Bonker was a man introduced to you when Lance kindly nicked one of my illustrations a few weeks ago. <laughs> a German preacher, and he tells the story of how he was called by God when he was a 10-year-old boy, sitting at the back of his father's church, listening to him preach. And uh, the power of God came into his body, and he felt like an electricity that was getting stronger and stronger and stronger until it was hardly bearable. And then the voice of God said, go to sister such and such, who was a woman who had been sick and in pain for many years, go to sister such and such and put your hands on her and I, God, will heal her. And Reinhardt said, how can I do this? My father is in the middle of preaching and father was very strict. If I disturb my father in the middle of his preaching, he will kill me. And he said, do you know what God did? He turned up the voltage. Now I am thinking, if I disturb the service while my father is preaching, he is going to kill me, and if I stay here, the power from God is going to kill me. I got out of my seat, he says. This is not how I talk, it's how he talks. 
doing my best German accent. I only lived in Germany for six years. You think I'll be better at it? I got out of my seat, crawled to where Mrs. Such and Such was, and dumped my hands on her. And she screamed. My father stopped preaching. I thought, now it is my father who is going to kill me. And my father said, what did Reinhardt do to you? And the woman said, when Reinhardt put his hands on me, I felt power go through my body, and now I am healed. If we could have the second slide, Reinhard Bonker, as, as Lance said, went on to preach in, in Africa. He built up a, a mighty uh, mission that first met in tents with thousands of people, then met just in the open air with hundreds of thousands. And finally, his, his biggest ever meeting came to six million people, which is on the next slide if we've got it. Um, and just a mighty ministry of the miraculous and how God worked in touching nations. Yeah, that's, that's six million people, folks. And some 79 million people signed decision cards to say that they wanted to follow Jesus Christ during the course of this man's long ministry. Now, I have to say, because a story like that is going to freak a lot of people out, God does not always call people that way. There's, you know, when you're going to preach and, and see 79 million souls saved, God might really need to get your attention, okay? And sometimes, you know, it, God works differently with different personalities. Sometimes it's strap in for a wild ride because, you know, you might be the kind of personality that responds to that. Other times it's the gentleness of God coming like a dove and just whispering into your ear about the plans that he has for you. Um, so Reinhardt went on to kind of struggle with the traditional means and, and methods of missions, just the missionary society saying, you've got to do it this way, this is the way it's already always been done. And Reinhardt wasn't seeing results, and he began to wrestle with God in prayer and say, how can we break through? How can we reach more people? And God renewed and, and fulfilled the calling that he had given him at the age of 10. And he began to see miracles, healings, people getting out of wheelchairs, blind eyes opened, witch doctors renouncing their, their witchcraft, and just to have this amazing ministry. My own sense of calling was not quite so spectacular. Um, I used to dream of preaching to millions, but it's scary enough with 300 of you right now. Um, but, you know, we were, we were at a particular school not far from here, a boys' school, and uh, there were three or four of us who really got filled with the Holy Spirit and the purposes of God at the same time, and we were sharing the things of God with people. Lads were giving their lives to Jesus, getting spirit-filled. We had one or two healings and all kinds of wonderful things. And one, at the end of one lunch break, we'd, we'd been speaking to some people, and I just thought, you know what, Lord, life is really boring if I don't get to do this. And that just cemented with me the sense of God's purposes. But there were challenges along the way. At the age of 18, when I started talking to my youth group and my church about the wonderful things I'd been experiencing, it was a more traditional church. They weren't into the things of the Holy Spirit, which we're so blessed to have moving here so wonderfully. And they said, you can stop talking about this or you can leave. You have to wrestle with your calling. But hey, I went to another church. I started preaching there. God was moving, saw more healings, was schooled in the prophetic and, and words of God and all this kind of stuff and had a wonderful experience of the Holy Spirit. So that's the first one is times of wrestling can reveal God's calling and guidance for your life. The second defining moment, times of wrestling can reveal God to us in new ways. Notice that this incident with Jacob and the man he was wrestling with did not take place in church. It didn't take place in the synagogue. 
It didn't take place in anything that looked like a religious setting or an ideal setting for God to speak to somebody. Your life-changing encounter with God may end up in church, and I pray it does, but it may not start out in church. You may not go through all of it in church. Don't underestimate the spiritual nature of the things that are going on in your life right now when it seems tough, even when it doesn't look spiritual, because God is in everything if we submit our lives to him and if we keep seeking him. And you know, it will bring out some determination. Jacob wanted to negotiate until he realized this man is going to fight with me and he's not going to let me go. And I think that brought boldness. I think that brought an attitude, I'm going to see it through. I think it brought an attitude that says, I'm going to find out why have you taken this route with me? Why are you doing this? I'm going to get to the bottom of this. And he became engaged with the process. And I believe there's an absolute 100% guarantee in God that if we engage with God in the things that we're struggling with, then he will meet us there. You know, so many of us, I'm sure we could put up hands and say, we've experienced that and we've lived it. It's been my story too. Life has not been at all easy. For the past 18 years, I've been struck with a chronic fatigue condition that meant I had to leave the country where I was working abroad in Germany. I haven't had a full-time job in that time. I've had to build up very, very gradually, and God has had me on a path with that the whole time. But you will wrestle when some circumstances like that come into your life. You will wrestle and you will say, why God? And this is painful, God, and what's going on? And the temptation is to let go of God because we get frustrated, because we feel worn out, because we feel disappointed. But my heart has been challenged and renewed recently to just keep engaging with God and to keep wrestling with God because the word of the Lord stands forever. The promises of God stand forever. I'm hanging on to what he says, that he forgives all my sins and he heals all my diseases. He redeems my life from the pit and crowns me with love and compassion. I am not staying here. I am clinging on to God and moving forward. Amen? And some, sometimes that wrestling is all you can do. All you've got left is the fight. All you've got left is holding on. And I want to say, if you feel like that and you feel unspiritual because you don't even want to read your Bible, you don't want to go to church, you don't feel excited about the things of God, but you're clinging on to God, just keep clinging. Just keep clinging and let us support you. And thank God we're in a church that understands that life is not always rosy and straightforward and we support each other in prayer. And I tell you what, one of the best things for me at the times when I've been feeling low has been to come into this place and minister to somebody else in prayer, in the power of the Holy Spirit, because God is working in all of our lives and lifting all of us up. So does that change your perception of the struggle? God has ordained this struggle. He He doesn't give us bad things, but when we go through bad things, he comes to us, and he ordains it in order to have a one on one meeting with you. He wants to address you. He wants to reveal himself to you. He wants to show himself to you. And it brings, you know, this this Bible is a living word. It brings this Bible and the good things that we read in here, it makes them 3D. It makes them alive. It makes them real in our lives. I think you've probably nearly said this at the beginning, but I think you've gathered by now, if you're new here, that we are not a museum for the things that God did, but we are a meeting place with the things that God is doing. And Kerry Kerry said it last week when she was nicking my sermon. (laughs) She's not even here, you see. She just doesn't dare. Watching you, Kerry. Um, She said, keep wrestling. Just keep wrestling. Keep hanging on in there. And come and take encouragement for people. And be real. If you feel like you're on your last gasp, come tell somebody. 
Because the chances are somebody in here is too. And we can all encourage each other. Paul said it this way. Philippians 3 verse 12. Not that I've already obtained all this or already been made perfect. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold, on, hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have yet taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. I'm taking hold of Christ because he has taken hold of me. And that's what Jacob was doing. I want to find out, why has this person taken hold of me? What's the purpose? And when you get to the bottom of the purpose, it brings revelation and you encounter God like never before. Okay. You know, at this point, I'd like to share a little bit of a prophetic feeling that I just had several weeks ago. God is doing huge things in this church and it's absolutely wonderful to see. And we stand in the gap between the pain of the world that has lost sight of God and the passion of God to reach people and redeem them and restore them to his glory. That's why some of us are weeping at times. That's why some of us are feeling things that we haven't felt before. That's why some of us maybe even look a bit weird. Because it's okay, because God is causing us to feel the pain of the world and his passion to reach the world. And he's rescuing people from the kingdom of darkness and bringing them into the kingdom of his light, and it affects our hearts. Jacob went away from this encounter with God, walking with a limp. Now, I don't believe God intentionally gives people, you know, mobility difficulties, but he marked Jacob with something as, as just a little reminder of the day and a reminder of the call of God on him. And when we meet with God, we walk differently. We walk differently in our attitude towards the world because we see the heart of God to reach the people who need him. Amen. And he's doing that. I believe he's bringing us forth as gold. A few weeks ago, there was a lot of political turmoil on the news, and as I was praying about it, I saw a glowing hot gold ingot emerging from thick, dark slag, and it was like dark lava. You know lava, how black it goes when it has congealed and cooled? And there was this gold ingot in the vague shape of a, of a man in the middle, and that was representative of the church. And meanwhile, the lava was shattered and broken. God is refining the church and putting his heat and his temperature and his glory into us in the midst of the turmoil and the chaos and the division in the world. And so we are standing out from the sin and the darkness of the world in order to be the light that they need. And he's doing it in our church right now, amen. And praise God, we are cooperating with God and we're seeing the fruit of that. So keep wrestling because times of wrestling will reveal God to you in new ways. Third defining moment. You will be pleased, there are only three. Third defining moment. Times of wrestling with God will reveal your God-given identity and nature. Jacob received a new identity, a new name. He went from being the deceiver, the swindler, the one you had to be careful of. When you shake hands with Jacob, be careful, count all your fingers to make sure you get them all back. Don't leave your wallet with him. Don't let him manage your pension fund and your company because you don't know what he'll be doing. Imagine having that reputation and it's literally your name. What's your name? Well, hi, I'm Jeremy. Hi, I'm the deceiver. And he grows up under that. I mean, it's crazy, isn't it? Aid is a big fan. Pastor Aid, who used to be our pastor, is a big fan of Lord of the Rings illustrations, and I'm determined to carry on that tradition, so here's one for you. <clears throat> Many of you will be familiar with the scene with Gollum 
where he has a kind of discussion with himself. And at that point, he's wrestling with the power that the evil ring has over his life. And he's wrestling with the goodness that's been poured into his life by the love of Frodo, who has shown him goodness for the first time in a very long time. And as you will probably know, Gollum has had had a kind of flashback where it goes back to the time many years before in a more innocent age when he and his best friend discovered the ring of power. Both of them want it. There's a fight. Gollum wins. He kills his best friend and steals the ring. Then he is consumed by guilt and driven by the evil spirit that's attached to the ring, and he goes out from the good land that he was living in, and he hides in the caves and dark places of Middle-earth. I've got to get through this without weeping. And the ring consumes him. He sits and he sits and he sits looking at the ring over and over again and saying, come on, you can all say this with me, my precious. Completely consumed, the ring becomes his whole identity. And when he's shown love by Frodo, it begins to transform him and it begins to set him free of this need for the ring. And that's a picture of how the love of God transforms us. You know, God is in the business of giving us a new name. Paul wrote, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. When we come to Jesus, he doesn't look at our sins, our failures, the things that went wrong, the things that were done to us, the labels we live under from the world, but rather he looks at us in a new identity that says, you are my child, you are my son, you are my daughter, and I love you, and you are welcome in my presence. We're not meant to carry around the label of being sinners any longer. You know, there's a lot of Christian religious speak that says, I'm just an old sinner, saved by grace. Well, thank God we were sinners, but Paul says, such were some of you. And he he lists off a load of sins, everything from robbers to swindlers to fornicators and idolaters. And he says, such were some of you, but you were restored, you were transformed, you were washed, you were sanctified in Jesus Christ. God does not let the old labels stick to us, but he gives us a new name and a new identity. I'm going to touch briefly on this, and then we'll be coming into land in about 10 minutes or so-ish. Our our generation is obsessed with identity. Some of you may remember the Andre Agassi advert for Canon cameras in which he said, image is everything. These days, it's identity is everything. The world is obsessed with trying to give us certain forms of identity that we have to live up to, that we have to adopt in order to be who we are, they say, but yet we neglect what God is saying about us. And I want to urge you, if you are struggling with something in in life today that has a grip on you, that maybe you feel it has been spoken over you, maybe you've got a love-hate relationship with whatever this thing is, a bit like Gollum did with the ring, and it's kind of taken you over, but at the same time there's this tension. God wants to give you a new identity this morning. God wants to set you free from things that have been spoken over you. In a church I used to go to, there was a lady who grew up, and this, this was her testimony, and that, at that point we could laugh about it. There was a lady who grew up in her family hearing you're fat, clumsy, and useless. Imagine, what a way to grow up, hearing those labels. And then she came to God and realized, you know, actually, I'm a child of God, and God loves me just the way I am. But the world will seek to label us. The experiences we go to will seek to label us. There may be a failure or a loss of business or something else that we feel is a label, but God doesn't label us with those things. God wants to to give us a new identity. 
And you see, the problem is with those labels that very often they can drive us to do things that we know are wrong or that we know let God down or that we know hurt us. You see, when we live with a self-critical spirit that has been imposed upon us, when we live with feeling I don't have any value or I'm not worthy of love, then we undervalue ourselves and we do things that hurt us. We, We expose ourselves to relationships that hurt us. And God wants to deliver us from those things. And I just want to bring it to a point on a verse here where um, it's Hebrews 12, which kind of uh, sums up the story of, of Esau in particular. You remember Kerry spoke last time with, about those various Hebrew words. This is a remez um, because it looks back to the story in the Old Testament. Um, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 16, it says, See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterwards, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. And and what happened was that Esau, who was a hunter, came home from the fields empty-handed, hadn't caught anything, he'd been out there for days, he was starving, and he bumps into his brother, who's cooking stew. And Esau is starving and says, give me some of that stew because I'm on the point of dying of hunger here. And Jacob says, okay, I'll give you some stew, but first sell me your birthright. And Esau is a man driven by his emotions. He's not got a strong relationship with God. He's driven by his immediate needs. And he says, okay, what good is the birthright to me if I'm about to die of hunger? Here you go, you can have it all. And he takes his plate of stew and his bit of bread. And that's all he gets out of the deal. And we, you know, I've I've seen this so much. And... It breaks my heart, and I believe it breaks the heart of God, but God is reaching out with love to us this morning because I've seen how this goes on, because we get caught up in the desires of the flesh. We get caught up in the things we have to have now. We get caught up in the things we can no longer wait for, and we say to God, I know you're God, but you just got to write me an excuse note to do this thing over here because this is the way I have to live my life. And very often it comes from those labels. We don't feel worthy of love, so we get into that relationship that we know is wrong in order to feel loved. We give ourselves away too easily. And God just, God wants to lift us out of that. God wants to show us who we are, show us the treasure that he has put in us and how much he loves us in order that we don't live in repetitive patterns of doing things that harm us, but that we break out of those. He doesn't want us to be godless like Esau, but rather to be godly, the way that Jacob did. Yes, it came through wrestling. Yes, it came through struggle, but Jacob's the one who walks the walk and ends up founding the nation of Israel with his 12 sons. And God has destiny in mind for each one of us. And sometimes we're saying, God, why isn't the destiny coming? And is it because we're just tripping over our own feet with the things that the world and the devil put on us? And they keep coming back, and they they keep kind of haunting us. But God wants to set us free from those things today. I'm really blessed to see Kim in the congregation this morning, because a few months ago, I looked from that side of the church to this side of the church, and Kim, I could see you worshipping God with just an absolute radiance and a glory of God on your face. It wasn't like a vision of light, but it was just the, the transformation of God that was evident through you. And we haven't rehearsed this moment, so... I'm not going to apologize for putting you on the spot, but I'm going to put you on the spot. Could you tell me just two words or phrases that summed up who you were and how you felt about yourself at the time before you knew Jesus? My life was in the gutter. Your life was in the gutter. 
From, from the gutter, she's come to the throne room of God. That deserves a clap. The reason we do church, the reason we love God, is because he is in the business of taking people out of the gutter and into his throne room. You know, if I tried to script that, it wouldn't have come any better. Thank you, Kim. just the radiance of God, and it's in so many of us. We can all tell that story. I backslid for four years. When I got ill, I wasn't walking with the Lord, and I felt worthless, and I did things that lined up with that worthless identity, with a sense of failure. I won't go into all the ins and outs because it would just take too long to tell, but I felt broken. I felt like I had lost, and I, I just couldn't get on eye-to-eye terms with God. Tried going to church, didn't work, walked away until I finally had this health crisis, and I realized, you know what, a bit like the, the boy who was feeding the pigs in the story of the prodigal son, Lord, I really need to come back to you. Guess what? The day I did that, the moment I did that, he welcomed me in with open arms. Life may not be perfect, but it isn't the same as it was back then, and I wouldn't swap the worst day that I have now for the best day I have while I was busy sinning. 